Blueberry conducts physician-led support groups, helping people live healthier, happier lives, free from metabolic disease. And on our podcast, Blueberry with Dr. Lori Martis, we bring to you nutrition and lifestyle, medicine experts, and extraordinary guests to empower and inspire you with the knowledge and stories of plant-based lifestyle so that you can be your healthiest self. Welcome to the podcast. I'm Dr. Lori Marbus, and today I'm very excited because I'm going to introduce one of my Blueberry colleagues, Dr. Yashoda Baskar. How are you today? I'm doing great, Lori. How are you? Very good. So Dr. Baskar Yashoda is um, one of the smartest people I know, super amazing, tons of, uh, I don't even know where to go, your journey, your story. It's its uh, more than I can even comprehend at times. So let's, let's dive in because I really think it's important people understand the talents that you have and all these incredible experiences. But let's start back to, you know, where was Yashoda before she was a doctor type thing? So can you tell us a little bit about your background and then kind of how you ventured into medicine? Yeah. Well, first of all, thank you for having me on your podcast. I just I've been binge listening to it and I love all the guests you bring on. So I feel like this is a special honor to be here today. So thank you. Thank oh. you for the opportunity. <laughs> my, It's my pleasure. <laughs> yeah, so I was born in India, a pretty traditional middle-class family, uh, the oldest of three girls, uh, which is a whole story in itself, right? <laughs> um, and my father was basically, um, I, I would say he's my first coach, my first mentor, my first everything. Um, he actually had polio as a child and he walked with a limb. It never stopped him. So he started as a, basically as a sales rep in a pharmaceutical company and worked all his way up to vice president of marketing and sales when he retired 30 years ago. So you can just see how much of, um, you know, he was a very motiv highly motivated man, let's put it that way. And so I think a lot of that got passed on to me ever since I was a child. And the big thing in our family was nobody in our family had ever gotten into medical school. Like all my cousins and you know, we had extended family and nobody ever, like lots of people tried and didn't get in. Wow. So I joked that even before I was conceived, my, my dad had already decided that I was going to be a doctor. <laughs> um, you know, so, so that was kind of my beginning. So everything was focused on that, you know, the best possible education, whatever support I needed, both emotionally and however it needed to happen. And luckily, I think I also inherited his brain. So I did manage to get to medical school on a, on a full scholarship. So I'm wow. one of the, yeah, very few fortunate people who was able to graduate from medical school without any student loans. And we can talk about, you know, you can imagine what a gift that was for me. <laughs> right, absolutely. Where did you go to medical school? I went to medical school in a very little known college in Gujarat. Um, it was called the Government Medical College in Surat, which actually happens to be sort of the diamond cutting capital of, well, at least India, if not the whole world. Uh, never never went and checked the out. I should have, but you know how medical school is, right? You just buried your head buried in your books. So yeah, that's where I went to medical school in Gujarat. So that gets used to you're done, you have your MD. So, but now yeah. <laughs> what comes after that? This is kind of where the really, I mean, that's all interesting, but the very interesting stuff for me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So what happened was after I finished my medical school, I actually got into a residency in ophthalmology because I really loved surgery, but I didn't want to, I didn't like general surgery, you know, and I thought, you know, eye surgery because I was a high myopic all my life. And to be able to give the gift of sight to people was 
very fascinating to me. And I've actually done like 50 or 60 cataract surgeries. So here I was, you know, doing my thing and with my friends and having a typical sort of, you know, residency life. And my, I didn't know this, but my parents had started looking for a guy for me to get married because, you know, arranged marriage was very common in India those days. Anyway, um, so my, <laughs> my dad actually answered to an ad in a newspaper that was placed by my husband's family, which sounds so quaint and crazy now, but it was all very respectable, right? It, uh, you know, brides wanted, grooms wanted, and you know, they lived in the South, and we're talking before the internet day. So I really believe in like divine intervention because there was no way my husband could have, we, you know, we could have met. He actually was in Denver, Colorado at that time. He had uh, moved to this country eight years prior um, uh, as a postdoc fellow, you know, he had a PhD. Anyway, long story short, <laughs> we sort of met, I mean, we talked on the phone, I think a couple of times, he flew over, we met for like an hour, seriously, and I was like, sure, I'll marry him, this is really nice. <laughs> Which is so crazy when I think about it now, you know, it was like, it was like taking a really big chance, but it turned out okay, because we've been married 34 years, and we've certainly Aww. had our ups and downs, but we've Wonderful. stayed together. Congratulations. <laughs> <Thank you. laughs> yeah, well, so then that changed everything, because I, because, mm. you know, he said, even if you, like, finish a residency, it's not going to be valid in the U.S., you still have to come back and do a residency, and you're probably, it's going to be hard to do ophthalmology just because it's, you know, extremely competitive as a foreign medical graduate. So I quit doing that. And then I had to wait two years to get my green card. And it was really, really hard on us. We, uh, we were literally writing letters and cards to each other every single day. But it would come like a little packet, right? Like you'd get like seven letters or seven cards. And I was working in a little hospital there. They called them a medical officer or I can't remember what the term is. But anyway... So my mom would hide the letters because the post would come in the afternoon <laughs> and then she would like literally like ration it out Aww. one a day because she knew that I wouldn't get another set till like the next week. So yes, yeah, so we, we struggled a bit with that separation. And then, you know, once I got my green card, I moved here to Denver, Colorado, and uh, he was teaching and had research at UCHSC there at that time. And the plan was I was going to sit down and study and take the boards and do my residency and then maybe start having a family. Well, Laurie, uh, we tend to be <laughs> hyper fertile in India. <laughs> Let's just say my son decided he wasn't going to wait for all of that. So I kind of found myself pregnant in a new country, you know, still undergoing cultural shock. And it was, it was crazy times. Let me just put yeah. it that way. Um, but we decided to go ahead and I'm so glad my son just, you know, he, he turned 30 this February and he is the light of my life, just like my other son is. Uh, <laughs> but anyway, he was born in, at the university hospital, hospital in Denver. Um, do you want me to still keep going? Because there's keep more. Keep going. There's more. No, I know. Yeah, no, I love that. And then, yes, keep going. Cause this, yeah. it's real interesting. Yeah. Yeah, so, um, so you know, and as it happens in research, right, like you have to keep getting grants and publishing papers. And my husband was actually doing research in the um, uh, central nervous system control of blood pressure. I mean, that was the first time I heard about like BNP and ANP and all these things that we later started using in clinical medicine. But it got to the point where he needed a change. And so he started looking for jobs and we ended up of all the places in the world in Kuwait. <laughs> <laughs> Which sounds so crazy, but um, 
you know, so he was an excellent job. He was faculty there. He got his lab and had all his research um, assistance and all of this. So we took a four month old, you know, kiss goodbye. We didn't, we didn't think we were coming back to the US to be honest with you. We even like got rid of our credit cards, cashed out his IRA. <laughs> we really didn't think we were coming back. Anyway, so we moved to Kuwait and uh, he was very happy in his job and I decided I needed to have at least a second child. So we had my second son, Oliver, was born in Kuwait, which I won't even tell you that story is for another time. It was, it was very interesting uh, being pregnant and looking for the right place to, to birth your child in a country like that. But um, yeah, anyway, so, um, but I was starting to get restless. You know, I was like, I worked all my life to be a doctor and I can't just be a stay-at-home mom and do nothing. And um, so I sat down with my books for like about a year. I prepared for about a year, taking care of the children during the daytime, you know, in the, in the evening when Vasco would come back from work, I would go in in this one little bedroom that I had as my study and just studied and took my exams and passed and uh, then came back to this country to do a residency. I mean, it was tough because I had a gap of like four or five years, right? So I was, we came to Denver that year and I was told, don't even try. Like, why are you even bothering? It's so competitive, which I didn't really, really know it was that competitive. Like less than 50% of foreign medical graduates actually match in a residency program in this country. Uh, I know it's pretty crazy statistics. So, so I stayed, we were actually here on summer vacation, but I stayed, you know, rented a little apartment and my husband went back to Kuwait with my two small boys. They were like barely three, I think my younger one. Um, and I did an externship, which was uh, quite something and, you know, didn't have health insurance, slipped and fell and, and actually dislocated my elbow. I mean, horrible things have happened to me in my life. I can't even tell you. But anyway, that really helped to get, um, you know, letters of recommendation. And I ended up applying to 168 programs. Wow. Because I was like, I'm doing this once. And I'm doing it really well. And if it was meant to happen, it's going to happen. And I got eight interviews. Many of them were in and around New York. And I was like, I don't know if I can live in New York. This is too big for me. How am I going to bring my family? Like all this craziness, you know. And I matched in El Paso, Texas, which I have to say was one of the best residency programs. Seriously. Um, we had faculty like Dr. Abraham Verghese. Uh, he's now at Stanford, you know, he's a New York Times bestseller. But it was such a great experience because I got to see both Eastern and Western medicine, right? We saw everything from TV and, and EBSs to obviously the chronic illnesses that I'm sure we'll get to. Um, so it was a great training program. This was before the 80 hour work week restriction. <laughs> so again, my family and I were separated. You know, I didn't feel comfortable to ask my husband to quit this really good job in Kuwait. And I was very, not sure if I would survive residency, honestly. <laughs> so he ended up staying in Kuwait with the two boys, single dad, no family, no nanny, no nothing. To this day, I have no idea how he did it. Mm. Um, and it was it was hard. It was hard on the kids. It was really hard on me. Uh, you know, things like WhatsApp or Zoom were not that available. We we're talking 22 some years ago. And it was tough. It was really tough. Um, but anyway, once I sort of got to the point where I was finishing up residency and I felt confident, 
then they moved back. Um, so I, I feel like I just, I've just kept talking. <laughs> no, no. So, I mean, basically, I just really want people to understand that how hard it is, one, to become a doctor, but two, you did it with the extra burden of being away from family, living here by yourself. I mean, that's, it's, it's hard. It's hard. And to go through the extraordinary, you know, cause when I went to medical school, I was older, I had three little kids, then residency husband, you know, he was traveling two hours one way to work for the first years. Of I totally get that. Sick grandma lived with that. I mean, I've had thing after thing. So I totally appreciate the extra added burden, but being away from your kids, that must've been so hard. Cause I think I would have, I'm not sure I could have done that. I mean, why is in the military? It was hard enough being away for like five months at a time, much less years. Yeah. Wow. You know, I think it's, it's sort of that almost like an immigrant mentality. I have mm. to say it's just what you do, right? Yeah. It's like, I, I got that. I was doing this for the future of my kids and my family uh, certainly for myself too, to have meaning and purpose in our life is so important, right? right? I don't know if all of that got to me when I was in my 30s. I wasn't that smart or wise, I'll be honest. But it's just what you did, you know, even mm -hmm. being separated from my parents and going to medical school at 17 was really hard. You know, mm -hmm. in, you know, the Indian culture is different. It's not like, oh, when you turn 18, they're like, get out of the house or kids want to leave. I was super close to my family and I was terribly homesick. So yeah, you're right. Went through a lot, but also it toughens you, right? It makes you resilient. It makes you strong. Um, and it makes you realize it's sort of like, it adds that level of spice to your life that makes you feel like vibrant and alive and, and meaningful. You know, I, I feel like sometimes if things come too easy, I don't know, I'm the kind of person who might take it for granted. So I kind of mm. like that level of challenge, although it was definitely not yeah, being away from the kids was really hard. I mean, sometimes I appreciate hard work, but then on occasion, it's okay to be, here's an easy route for you and it's still the right path. <laughs> That's okay on occasion. Exactly, exactly. Oh yeah. gosh. So yeah. you did internal medicine and it was at Texas Tech. So I, you know, I went to medical school at Texas Tech in Lubbock and residency in Lubbock at Texas Tech. So we definitely yeah. have that line crossing in, in what years were you there? Mm. I was there 98 to 2001. Yeah. Oh, yep. So I was in medical school during that time. And so, yeah, I was not, I was still in the system. So how funny. Oh my goodness. Isn't that crazy? <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> it is crazy. Um, I mean, and so now, so now your family's here and you're practicing. When did you decide you know, the traditional way of doing things or what was your interest as you, because you, you kind of grew as a person and you're, and you started searching for other ways, like coaching and all that stuff. Like how did all that evolve? Like, where did that yeah. come from? Yeah. So I actually ended up working for um, group health in the state of Washington and Olympia for 16 years um, after I finished my residency. And, you know, then they got acquired by Kaiser. So it's a very similar system to Kaiser. And I did both consultative internal medicine and worked as a hospitalist. So basically saw the sickest of the sick, right? We were serving about 60,000 patients in that area. And the group that I joined were five, all older, all white men. <laughs> so I was the first female, non-white, you know, really not had an education in this country. But I have to say they were amazing. I just loved them. They just took such good care of me. And I felt like I got a whole second residency. Mm -hmm. But we did really hard work because we didn't have subspecialists 
uh, at that time. So we did a lot of cardiology work. I mean, I must have done, I don't know, thousands and thousands of treadmills. You know, we did um, cardioversions for AFib. I mean, we basically would package our cardiology patients and send them over to the interventional cardiologist that we had really good relations. Like I literally would have to just pick up the phone and go, hey, um, Dr. Gammon, I have this patient and I think they probably need to just go to cath. Like, I don't know that I would even waste my time on a mild view. And you'd be like, well, I'll let my nurse know and they'll call them, they'll put them on the list in like two days. You know, it was like that kind of relationship. So I got really good at cardiology and all the stuff that's related with that, right? And of course, diabetes and hypertension and all of that. So lots and lots and lots and lots of that. And having the hospital experience of congestive heart failure and you know, taking care of patients with diabetes who have you know, kidney failure, they're on dialysis. Now they have gangrene and they've just had an amputation and like all that stuff that happens with the... I was seeing like the, the crap that happens, right? When chronic illnesses are not well managed or, or just even getting out of control in, in spite of being well managed, that's what I saw. And so I had a very skewed view of health and wellness in general. And um, I was starting to feel like there's got to be something more, you know, like your instincts start telling you like, you know, here are these patients, we have them, I have them on a beta blocker and an aspirin and a statin, like they're doing all the things that they're supposed to do. And yet I kept seeing them back in the hospital over and over again. One more thing, you know, fifth stand, <laughs> second bypass. And I had mm. no idea about nutrition or any of that stuff because just like any other Western trained medicine doctor, I had no idea about nutrition and um, lifestyle. So um, in about 2016, I think it was, I was starting to really burn out. There were many other reasons too, but I think some of it was professional dissatisfaction. Like I cannot write for one more statin and one more beta blocker, you know? <clears throat> so I was looking for answers. And anyway, 2017 is when, um, as fate would have it, I found out about American College of Lifestyle Medicine. Never heard about it. I had never even heard the term whole food plant-based before that, which sounds so crazy when I say it now. Um, so I went to like two conferences that year. I think I've gone like five or six plant-based conferences, read the China study, followed, you know, Neil Bernard, Gregor, like all the big names. And I was like, wow, this is crazy. Um, I do want to kind of go back a little is my dad passed away of a massive stroke. So now it's been about 20 years and so much hypertension and diabetes in my family. You know, he'd had two strokes and he kind of didn't really take care of his health. So I put all the pieces together and I was like, wow, I'm at risk. You know, my family, almost everybody's on some medication or the other. And I was so heartbroken when my father died like that. Um, you know, he became unconscious for five days and was just gone. And I swore to myself, I would never do that to my children, right? And so I was like, I got to change my, you know, part of it was also skepticism, right? Like, if this thing is supposed to be so great. How come nobody talks about it? And how, how did I not know about it? So I wanted to try it out first. And I did. And I lost 10 pounds. My brain fog was gone. You know, I was sleeping better. Like, all those things that, that we know that happens, right? And I'm like, this is it. <laughs> this is it. Oh, my God. This is crazy. Um, and, you know, I'm going to be 57 this August, and knock on wood, I think I might be the only person in my whole entire family who's not on any medications for anything. Wow. So, 
it's the power of you know of doing it and seeing it yourself, right? It is. It's a it's a it's an incredible journey to behold someone who is defeating the odds of their genetics, right? But it's actually, you know, speaking of lifestyle, most of the time people are inheriting their lifestyle, right? So now you've changed that trajectory because you've changed the accepting of what your dad did or your or your family, their typical um, eating patterns and activity patterns and things. So that's yeah. phenomenal. <clears throat> yeah, yeah I mean, even I'm on a medication. I've been on medication for thyroid, you know, hypothyroidism since I was 20. 26. Yeah. So it's been, I'll be 52 in October. And so, yeah, even, even that improves some, but I'll be on that medication for the rest of my life. But so, I mean, that's, that's such a, but you know, there's breast cancer, in my family, heart disease under 40 people dying. Yeah. So, I mean, like, it's a big, big deal um, to, to have the power. And honestly, all we're doing is we're just going back to the natural state of affairs that I feel like every single human should be living or the majority you know, there are certainly obviously some things that happen. Um, but so now you've done this and you, I think we met at that 2017 ACL, if I remember right. Yeah. Right? I think yeah, it was somewhere like, it was like five years ago. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. I think we might've met again at TCRM just before COVID, if I recall. Yeah. But there was a few, several times. And then I went, we went to Hawaii and we saw you in Hawaii, yeah. of course. Of course, everyone yeah. she lives in Hawaii, that's a rough life right now. So <laughs> um, so from the standpoint of now, okay, you were in Washington, now you're in, in Hawaii, when did that transition occur? And then what what are your desires and where do you see yourself going now? Because I know you've kind of taken a different approach too with the coaching with physicians and stuff, because that's really interesting to me mm-hmm. to help other physicians who are in the same spot that maybe you found yourself. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, so we, like I said, you know, I finally decided to quit that job in 2000. I stayed on as locums for a bit. So I, 2018 is when actually we moved to Hawaii. I, I uh, bumped into this dietitian who was from Hawaii, who works at Kaiser, who's plant-based. And she's like, you should come. We need people like you. And so I was like, yeah, why not? You know, the weather is better anyway. <laughs> That's how we do things. You know, we're like, just pack up and move, which is what we did. And, uh, you know, we've been here four years. And um, so I was sort of like, you know, I needed a break, I think, to really figure out what I wanted to do next with my life, you know, so there was a really sweet little job at the nursing home here, which I loved, and I did it, and the nurses were amazing, and I did that for like two years, but Laurie, there were crazy things happening in the nursing home as well. I want to also go, go back to saying when I learned about whole food plant-based in 2017, you know how we get super enthusiastic. I started talking to all my patients about it, and the nurses, <laughs> and the doctors, and blah, blah, blah. Well, it turns out our cardi- we had two cardiothoracic surgeons um, at St. Pete's, and his, one of them is Dr. Ron Quinton, and he's been a cardiothoracic surgeon for like, you know, probably before you and I were born. And he was trying to explain to everybody, his patients especially, about a whole food plant-based diet, because I know we should get him on your podcast. He's great. Yes. Um, but he's at uh, New Orleans, the culinary medicine um, place right Tulane. now. You know? Yeah, Tulane, exactly. So we started chatting, and he's like, this is what I see, right? When I go in and open the heart, I'm seeing like cholesterol clogging up people's arteries. And he said, it would be so frustrating to go on post-op rounds and see like sausage, bacon and eggs on their plate, you know? And so, uh, so there was at least one person who was like, yes, this is true. And I'm seeing, I'm literally like with my eyes, I'm seeing what bad, you know, the sad 
American diet does to mm. people's hearts and other things. So, um, but I started seeing some results in some patients, you know, I was like, hey, do you want to try this? And then I would see them back in clinic because we did a lot of the post-hospital um, follow-ups to, before we sent them on to their primary care doc, you know, they were losing weight. People were like, I lost 20 pounds and I'm 72. And I'm like, yes, this is great. And so also in the nursing home, sometimes I would get people, they're like, yeah, I'm a vegetarian. I'd be like, yeah, we're going to make sure you have like a, as close to whole food plant-based. I had a patient there, believe this or not, with a creatinine of six, he had pretty severe dementia. So the family had decided not to do dialysis, which I think, you know, was appropriate. But he lived for months. And I really believe it was because of a healthy diet mm. that we were feeding him. He kind of didn't care what he was eating, right? But right. it was mostly plant-based. Um, so anyway, in uh, so I wanted to start a small lifestyle medicine practice here in 2020. So I was actually in the process in January of getting, you know, the credentialing with the insurance companies and all of that. COVID happened. So I had to put a halt. I was like, oh, now what do I do? So I started working with about three telemedicine companies, mainly because I wanted to just help people during COVID, but also keep up my, my uh, medical skills. Um, mm-hmm. And I still do a little bit of that to this day. And uh, so what else did I do in 2020? Because we were all, you know, trapped inside our homes. And I thought, you know, it's time for me to get my board certification in lifestyle medicine. I'm going to do that. And then I thought about like how important coaching is. I think that's kind of where we need to go to where, you know, we tell patients, you got to do this, you got to do that, you got to do the other, which, you know, patients either take it or not. But coaching is such a beautiful way to bring people on board because we are meeting them where they're at, right? Every human being is so unique. Every human being has their own purpose and reason or their why of why they want to be healthy, why they want to be happy, and to be able to draw that out and allow them to create a plan for themselves of wellness. I think it's such a beautiful way to go because you're going to get way more buy-in. And I think patients enjoy having that agency, you know, having the independence mm-hmm. to say, this is what I choose to do. Um, I do do a lot of coaching with phys- for physicians too, just because of so much burnout. And it's certainly not necessarily around physical health. But again, I think like, like lifestyle medicine is not just about physical health, right? It's about mental health, emotional health, social health, all the six pillars. And like a crazy person, I decided to do one more training, which is to become a certified money coach because I see how much finances are a source of stress. Don't like to talk about money. It's kind of icky. Um, and it was a special passion of mine. So I did a 16-week course doing that as well. So I do a variety of things and I bring to the table what the person in front of me needs, you know. So I think that's about it for now, at least. <laughs> well, and and now you've joined the Blueberry team and want to be one of our docs. You're kind of yes. our lead physician in the sense of helping bring on others and then taking care of circles and teaching and all that good stuff. So I'm super excited about working with you too, especially as we grow and expand. But where do you feel like um, physicians should be focused in on, on this coaching aspect with patients? Like I'd like to kind of get into where you're, where you would see as helpful, you know, from the previous maybe how you were taught or learned in residency, you know, how to approach patients interact versus now with your coaching, what would be that advice for someone in that situation? 
Oh, such a great question. You know, human psychology is really fascinating and interesting. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? I, I still remember when um, Avi was two years old and I would tell him something to do something and his first response was always no. Right? Do you remember they go through that <laughs> no phase when they're two? Well, it persists throughout our life. We don't like being told what to do, even mm-hmm. when we know it's good for us, right? It's right. just the way we humans are. And so that's kind of where I started thinking, what is it about our interactions with patients? You know, we ha- hear all these things about, you know, patients are non-compliant and they're challenging and less than 50% of them even fill the prescriptions that we give them, let alone take it and blah, blah, blah. And I was thinking, you know, most people, I would say, want to be healthy and happy, right? Like really mm-hmm. people want to do that. And mentally they understand that these medications or lifestyle changes are required in order for them to have that level of health. And yet they don't do it, mm-hmm. right? So I got truly fascinated about that. And I think one of the principles in coaching which we use is motivational interviewing. And that's a big part of bringing around behavioral change. They've actually done great studies to show that the best level of compliance that you can get with your patients or maybe even your kids uh, <laughs> is by those principles of self-efficacy. You know, we want to be independent. We want to we want to be in charge of our own life and our destiny and our health. And everybody's different, you know. So I think coming to them as an approach of not as the expert in the room, right? Like I'm the doctor, I'm telling you what to do rather saying you're the expert of your body. Like you have a lived experience, you know, of all the things of your um, experiences in this life that you bring to the table. What I bring to the table is my book knowledge, right? And the experience I've had dealing with thousands and thousands of patients, I bring that. So it's more of a partnership and saying, what would work for you? Let's talk about that. You know, and sometimes it just might be, you know what doc, I wanna just start drinking more water six glasses or eight glasses of water a day. And then fine, let's start with that then, right? Like literally meeting them where they are rather than like hammering at them, like do this, do that. Um, And it's such a respectful approach, you know? It's so, it's like, it's honoring who they are, right? And it's saying, I get it. It's, this is not easy sometimes, but I'm here to help you, to partner you. I'm I'm gonna be with you for as long as you need me to be with you. and, and you know what, some, to some extent, it takes down the burden from us, right? As physicians, somehow I think we feel like if our patients don't succeed, we failed. And it's like, uh, no, it's truly a partnership and we can support them and help them and encourage them and you know, cheerlead them. But at the end of the day, they have to, wear, they have to carry that burden. They have to do the work. We can't do all the work for them. Yeah, I think there's some really important points there is one, they have to do the work. We're here to help them understand what work needs to be done and maybe how, you know, help them figure that out, you know, with what they tools they have and then think about, you know, how to incorporate those and make themselves healthier. But, you know, it's interesting in in medicine now, you know, physicians are being held even higher standards, like your patients had to have this under control and these metrics met, or you're not going to be reimbursed appropriately for whatever. And that's even more frustrating because it's pushing them even more towards a more of a authoritarian type relationship where like, hey, I need you to do this, this, and this. And in a shorter period of time, more administrative burden. So you have physicians who 
I think what happens is they discover lifestyle medicine and it's such a breath of fresh air to actually say, one, these are very powerful interventions that make sense. Two, I am not sitting here writing more prescriptions and trying to get a patient to deal with something that's not going to honestly, in the end, do a whole lot for them. Certainly some medications are very beneficial, but on the, we just kind of keep them living, not really thriving type of a situation. I mean, that, that I think is why I see physicians so in love with this approach to medicine in general. Yeah. Um, but I also want to talk about the money because you're exactly right. I, isn't it like money is one of the top reasons of divorce in the United oh, States? Yes. I think um, where, what type of, um, you know, just the general audience, even physicians, patients, what type of, um, are your like top three bits of advice regarding finances? Like what would you tell someone who comes to you financial coaching? Yeah. Well, so I think, you know, at the end of the day, it's math, right? It's, it really is as simple as math. And yet we attach so much, there's so much emotion and drama attached to money because it's interesting how we develop um, behaviors and thoughts and ideas about money is very similar to food, actually, when you think about it, right? That, so that was the interesting connection for me, is what are the messages we get as children? And not necessarily what our parents are saying, but how they are behaving around money, you know? Mm -hmm. So I, I've coached, I don't know, a lot of people around this. And it's like, mom was a spender, dad was a saver, and there was always this friction or tension at home. Sometimes they're, you know, they're fighting in the bedroom and you think, and you know, children tend to take things personal. They think it's their fault, right? So we actually can get traumatized by not having clarity around having a healthy relationship with money, you know? I tell people it, it's a tool, right? Just like everything else and how we use it, you know, a knife can be used to cut a vegetable and be healthy, or it can be used to stab somebody and money is the same way. So top three, I would say, you know, it's, it's interesting because culturally we were taught in Asia, you know, a lot of Asian countries, we save, there's no social security. There's no, we didn't even, it was hard to even get loans at that time. So never, it's like, don't spend more than what you make as much as possible. And it's hard to say that in these days of inflation and minimum wage, right? But as much as possible living with your, within your means. If you're a couple or if you're planning to become a couple, talk about money. I think that is so important. I think it should be part of like pre-getting married, you know, counseling, pre-marriage counseling to get on the same page because you're going to be a partner again here together how do we do this together and it's not like you versus me you know i think that's important and so and three teach your children you know just some basic simple financial concepts like i remember the piggy bank that we got when we were kids and we would put all the coins in and you had to like break it it was made out of mud you know it wasn't plastic and so we wouldn't break it for a long time mm -hmm. <laughs> it's saving, right? right so just simple things like that is what I would say to start, get started. Yeah. No, those are three very important things. And the understanding the budget and the need for the budget to live within your means. Don't be afraid to budget. Yes, <laughs> for sure. For sure. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It is, and it is hard with, you know, and we've made it so much easier, for example, student loans. So kids walk into college, leave college with these massive amount of debt, and then they can't find a job to 
actually help pay it down very quickly. I mean, it's just so interesting how we've set ourselves up for failure in this country in multiple levels, finances, health-wise. So what, who needs a terrorist? We're very good at terrorizing ourselves, right? So yeah, uh, we do have to talk about a little bit about like how finances also affect health in the sense mm. of pricing of food, right? Like we, you know, it's easier, right? I mean, the environment is a big part of of food habits and it's easier to drive through McDonald's and buy six, you know, 99 cents cheeseburgers versus paying $6 and getting a small box of salad. And that's another whole other arena that I'm sure we can talk about later sometime, but of how our food is priced in this country to actually and encourage unhealthy habits, you know, and right. we're, we're paying a price somewhere else. I mean, close to 20% of our GDP is what we're spending on healthcare, pro, for close to $4 trillion. And our outcomes are not anywhere even in the top five or 10 worldwide. So this is a epidemic, a pandemic, whatever you want to call it. And how do we address that as well? And, uh, you know, there's also this co- concept of eating plant-based being expensive which you and I know it's not you know like at least a lot of like the basics like your your whole grains and your beans and legumes are dirt cheap you can buy them Mm -hmm. in bulk um, you know and then supplement with your fruits and vegetables so Mm -hmm. I think there's an economic component to lifestyle practices that we don't address as physicians we just don't I don't ever remember asking my patients hey like how are you doing financially Right. It's mm-hmm. just not something we talk about. It's very taboo, but mm-hmm. I think it's important to bring into the conversation. Mm-hmm. Well, if anything, that knowing that eating in a healthier manner, eating a whole plant, is not going to add more burden. Is actually going to decrease the burden. Exactly. One, they'll be able to go to work more often. Less doctors visits, less medications. They'll feel better, more um, less absenteeism. They're more present, mindful of the work that they're doing when they are at their job. And then overall, the budget alone decreases. I know when we switched 10 years ago to a whole food plant-based diet, my bill went down $400 a month. And it wasn't that I was buying even a lot of processed food. That was just cutting out the meat, dairy, and eggs. I mean, I mean, that's substantial. Um, and, uh, I didn't go buy a lot of dried beans. I mean, I bought grains and stuff, but I was like, I'm using canned beans because it just takes a lot of time. And I was, you know, physician with kids and that home. But, you know, that's that's really, really critical is to understand, you know, the financial side of things is going to, you're going to pay for it now or pay for it later. You, it's either you focus in on eating healthy now or you're going to pay for it in dividend. You'll pay for later with poor health and a shorter lifespan and God knows what else. But the other question I have is because you had mentioned um, your kids. So now they had already left home when all this happened or how are they, are they decided to embrace this or what, what is there and your husband, how's your family reacted to your, <laughs> your choices? Yeah. That's always also interesting, right? Because we change and then we like, of course, this, everybody should change with us. Like, duh. Right. It took some time. Um, I will say my older son is still, fairly resistant. They mostly eat whole food plant-based, I'll be honest, you know. Um, But I'm also seeing how it can be a challenge for the young people, right? Like there Mm. can be a desire to do it, but again, they are surrounded by a certain environment and how can they navigate what they want to do in that environment? So 
My younger one is actually a lot better because he's all about the environment and loves animals. And I think he, you know, right now he's in Mexico in some tiny little town volunteering to build a school. And I honestly don't know how well he can maintain or follow a whole food plant-based diet there because he's with a group of people and he doesn't have much control over what's put on the table, even though he says, hey, I'm you know, vegetarian. So they, they do try to accommodate. And of course, there's lots of rice and beans down in Mexico. Mm-hmm. So my husband, pretty much, I would say 99% is on board. Um, we live in Hawaii. So sometimes he's like, I want to eat a piece of fish. I'm like, you do whatever, but I'm not doing it. Like I love, I love being whole food plant-based pretty much exclusively. So And I think that can be a challenge for a lot of our patients where they're like, but my family doesn't want to come on board. And now I have to, you know, cook for Mm -hmm. three different types of. And so those are the things I think where coaching can help where and having that group like we're going to do at Blueberry is actually having community to share that. You know, we Mm -hmm. did vegan potlucks here for before COVID. Um, We've got 30 people would show up, you know. Um, So I think. Sometimes maybe our immediate family might not still completely be on board. I, I wish they were, but they are adults, you know. Mm-hmm. Right. No, I I totally understand. No, I I get it. You know, and I let's I would like to let's talk about the blueberry. So blueberry is literally it's physician led, right? Group medical visits. So we're going beyond the group visits that most people would think about with coaching um, or with the registered dietitian. This is really physician and a PA team who are going to take, you know, 10 people. Um, we're accepting insurance. We're starting in Florida, and then we'll move on to Texas and hopefully be in all 50 states very soon. Um, but the whole idea here is that one, we're building in that community aspect, which is missing um, when someone's trying to do it individually. We're trying to be hyper local as possible. Right now it's on the state level, but as we get more patients, maybe we'll be able to say, here's Tampa, Florida, or Miami, or Boca Raton, or you know, Podunkville in Texas, wherever that may be. And hopefully that we can not only help someone connect virtually, but these are also be able to connect in person should they choose to outside of the, those medical group components. And it's for 12 weeks. We walk you through kind of the pillars, the basics of the pillars of lifestyle medicine, which is, you know, whole plant-based diet, exercise, sleep, restorative sleep, community um, stress reduction, avoidance of alcohol and tobacco, of course, but there's other parts like that coaching, you know, maybe there'll be a part of financing, you know, we're going to have recipes, there's going to be a chat function, we're building the app side of it, because that's where the founder, Murdy and Cassius, those two founders, their background is tech, and so then we bring in the medical expertise, um, but I love the whole idea of one, it's group, and two, we don't want to take you away from your primary care doctor. We want to send you back in a healthier package. So we want to work with primary care doctors to send those to their patients for this period of time. And it may be another 12 weeks that they do, you know, so, but that's a joy. So where do you, where would, where do you think something like this will help where you see our standard care right now? I know I'm excited about because this really hasn't been done before. No, I, you know, uh, Laurie, when I reached out to you and we started talking about this, <laughs> I don't know if you remember, I think I was yes. literally like jumping out of my chair because <laughs> what an amazing offering, right? Like this is like yeah. bringing something, like you said, is very unique. It hasn't, I don't think anybody else is doing it like this, but it is basically physician led, physician run with a PA to help us and bringing in the coaching element, bringing in the financial elements, bringing in. Um, I don't know if you know this, but my husband and I actually have conducted, veg- I call them vegetarian, but they're really whole food plant based 
Indian cooking classes here in Kona and they sell out every single time. And awesome. I think it's because of the community, the delicious food, and nobody ever says, where's the meat? You know, at the end of it, they're like, oh my God, I'm so full. I feel so great. I think I'm <laughs> going to go for a run, <laughs> you know? Um, and so, you know, having those cooking demonstrations, allowing patients to set the agenda to some extent, right? Like, mm -hmm. what is it that's going to help you 10 people to get to where you, to get where you are now to where you want to be, a healthier mm -hmm. version of yourself? And we learn from them and we grow. And I think this is the next thing in medicine. I mean, it's something's got to change, right? Like mm -hmm. you said, physicians are tired of how we're doing, have been doing things. There's burnout, there's hospitals that are overflowing with really sick people. Um, you know, there's the whole economic piece as a country that we're spending so much money, but we're not getting the results that we should be getting for spending $4 mm -hmm. trillion. Um, so I am super excited. I, I agree with everything you've said. I think it's fantastic. It's going to be amazing. Yeah. And, and the beautiful thing too, is that we're taking these really amazing physicians and PAs and we're putting them in front of 10 people. So we're 10 xing their time, right? So one will be able to pay them well so they can do this full time, but also it's not just like one-on-one. -on -one. So instead of an, an hour of one patient, I can do 10 patients and then they meet and support each other. So it's a really exciting opportunity for physicians, for the patients to step outside of the normal, you know, one-on-one, -on -one, um, but actually spend a lot of time together and hear other people's solutions and maybe resonate and like, you know, that's a good idea. And I, I just feel like group think is so much better. Yeah. It's just, you know, the, the, the group dynamics and the creativity and the um, solution orientation of the, what we're going to be doing already is, is going to be really fun. And of course, there'll be reiterations and things will change and each group will be unique, but it'll, it'll be a lot of fun to see um, the evolution of the, of, of Blueberry um, as we move along our journey, but that's fantastic. And, and Laurie, I have to say, I love that we're taking insurance, although I know, you know, we've been working behind the scenes. This last uh, there's a lot of work. There's a lot of work, people. I don't think they understand. No, Lord have mercy. A lot, you know, have Holy mackerel. States. Yeah, the, you know, you have 50, what, 50 plus one state licenses. Oh, uh, it's a, and then, oh, that's just the state license. That's not even including, you have to enroll in the insurance. Well, you have to, okay. <laughs> and we're going to eventually take Medicare and Medicaid as well. So we want to cross all socioeconomic boundaries in the United States. So if you need cash, you can do insurance, you can do Medicare, Medicaid. We're not there yet. It's a process, people. Please, please be patient with us. But the the Medicare, I mean, I mean, sorry, the peer enrollment, holy schmeckers. I mean, like there's so many insurance companies and different offerings and <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's very brave we're, of we're, to be taking on insurance and the insurance Yeah, <laughs> it's not a cheap, it's not a cheap uh, way to do things. So to even offer an opportunity to get in front of a physician and utilize what you're paying for took is taking a lot of money for those individuals, the corporation, a blueberry, or whoever your doctor is to get in front of you. It's like insane to me how difficult we've made... <laughs> to access healthcare in this country. It just blows my mind. And then we set up this environment to where people are, we feed them unhealthy food. We right. make it the bad choice, the easy choice. Right. There's no being held responsible for this environment that we are. I mean, it just, God, it just it's blows so my mind. <laughs> and we have to work within the system to do the right thing. 
right? I, and so I hope patients can and people can appreciate the amount of effort. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and but, the enthusiasm the thing, that needs it, to be it's made. Because of people like you and Murthy and me and you know, mm -hmm. our little team at Blueberry, that yeah. because we can see the future, right? We right. see the possibilities, we see the potential, we see how rewarding and amazing this work can be. Just like we said earlier, sometimes, sometimes you just have to walk the hard path because you yeah. know it's the right path. And right. then the fruits are just much sweeter when, when they come to you. <laughs> it, is, it is. And it's interesting, right? So we walk the path to go to medical school, which is a hard path. Yes. And then you go to residency, which is even harder. And then you go out into the world, depending on where you go, private practice. I was military. <laughs> and then you decide, oh, no, let's make it even harder. Let's bring in lifestyle medicine and try to work within a, a system right. that, you know, defines sick care as the status quo and healthcare doesn't exist. Mm -hmm. And then you try to work that. And then you're now we're building this new way of delivering one medicine virtually think, you know, COVID had its silver linings for people like myself and you who were, can use this virtual method to share a message. And plant-based health, I feel, was just a stepping stone for me. It was like, I had to figure that out to build. I mean, there's so many things, you know, 2020 looking back where the universe aligned to make this happen. Yeah. And I just, and I, there's so many things that are occurring right now in a very rapid fashion that I know this will be very successful in the sense of one, a sustainable business entity, but also sustain and help patients maintain and thrive in their health and touch many, many lives in the future. And hopefully it very, very quickly will be in front of many, many, many thousands of patients. But um, yeah, it's, it's super exciting um, where we're headed. It's just, you know, it's just, it's just, you just got to keep going. People have no idea the yeah. logistics. <laughs> No, There's like you said, it's all about aligned, you know, it just was, it's perfect timing. I think people are yeah. coming out of the pandemic, realizing that, you know, people have had time to think about things that are important to them in their life too. And yeah. if you don't, I say, if you don't have physical health, like everything else, it doesn't even almost matter, right? right. If you wake up every morning, you have to pop 16 pills just to get out of bed. You know, your whole body aches. You're sitting in front of the TV going, I can't run after my grandchildren or you know, your quality of life, it's so important that when you make that change and we're really what we're really recommending or suggesting are very simple changes, yes. they're not any dramatic, crazy, you know, kind of stuff. And you start seeing, and I, and I love it's 12 weeks because we, it takes that much time to see, you know, sometimes you see results very quickly, but to see that and realize this is sustainable. I can incorporate this in my life um, I think is going to be just mind blowing. I, I cannot tell you how excited I am. I'm sure you got that already. I've said, I've said no, that. yeah, it's no, no. If, if anyone would be my, my first doc on board, it, it would definitely need to be Dr. Yoshoda. There's oh. no, there's no doubt. And then Catherine is our PA, Catherine yeah. Van who we'll be interviewing later. Um, but you know, it's, it's super exciting. So, you know, we're coming up on our, our time limit here, but, um, Dr. Yashoda, could you please give us any last tidbits of advice that you'd like to, let's say someone who's listening to this and going, I'm interested um, in pursuing this, but we don't, you know, maybe you don't have a circle available for them yet. This is what we're calling blueberry circles, guys. It, I refer to group visits. It's a circle, which is kind of cool. Um, but anyway, what would be your advice for someone who's trying to start? Like, where would they go? What should they do? What, what, what do you recommend? Yeah. 
I always say first start with your why. What makes you want to do this? And sometimes it takes a few iterations of that, you know, because an answer might pop into your head and then you ask yourself why that and then why that and why get really deep in there. It took me some time to understand my why. You know, now I can go into a barbecue place and go, no, nope, I'll just have the baked potatoes because I know, right, as much as possible, I don't want my children to to go through the heartbreak that I went through when my dad passed, right? So really start working on understanding for yourself why it is important to you to have better health. That be just start there. Don't even do anything, just start with awareness. Mm-hmm. And then the doing comes later and where Laurie and I and this whole Blueberry team is there to help with that. Yes, I think that's really important. One, you're thinking the thoughts, number one, that why you want to do something. And then the brain's like, oh, that's what you want to do. And it starts helping you make those decisions. If you keep the why in front of you, and it's not just, oh, I want to lose 10 pounds, but why do you want to lose two pounds? Well, because I want to feel better. Why do you want to feel better? So blah, 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 blah. And yeah, those five layers are really, those layers as you go deeper Mm -hmm. are really, really critical. Um, yeah, and it's a great way to start. Wonderful way to start. And then you just, you just get moving. You start yeah. moving in the right direction. You just start adding in those things to your life yeah. that, you know, that we've all talked about. And you guys, this podcast is full of interviews of people who've done it. Exactly. You could go follow what they've done. Forks over nights, the, you know, you can go see someone at plant-based health or blueberry dye health. All of these, there's so many amazing places and resources nowadays. Mm-hmm. So just, just get started. And, um, it's fairly straightforward. And if you need help, that's what we're going to be here for. So thank you for that excellent interview. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Marbus. I'm so excited to be partnering with you. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Now I just have to go hang out in uh, Hawaii. Oh yeah. So it's 88 degrees on Thursday. Friday is supposed to be 43 with snow. I'm like, I'm like, all right. this morning when we went for a walk, just saying oh. 64 in my car as we oh drove my down. Goodness. I'm so done. I'm done, done, done. It's summer well, people. Know, there's going to be a Hawaii retreat, right? There's going to be a blueberry Hawaii retreat. I there mean, we go. Yeah, we're going to do that. Yeah. Excellent. Conferences are next, but That's right. thank you so much. And uh, you guys, I'm really excited to, we'll keep you abreast of um, changes and I'm sure you will be back on this podcast and we'll bring on Catherine and we'll keep giving updates and where we're headed and exciting news. And um, if anyone has any questions, please feel free to reach out to us. But thanks again for your time. Thank you, Laurie. Thank you so much for having me on. Thanks for watching. And I hope you enjoyed that video. Before you go, though, please hit the subscribe button and the alert button so you'll be notified whenever we release any new videos. We upload a new episode of Blueberry with Dr. Lori Marvis on Friday. Now, if you'd rather listen to the podcast, you can find us on all the major platforms such as iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, and even Spotify. If you're looking for amazing resources to help you start a plant-based diet, sustain a plant-based diet, exercise, recipes, or anything wellness, we got you covered there too. Because at Blueberry, we actually provide physician-led support groups to help people live happier, healthier lives and free from metabolic disease. Don't forget to check out our website at blueberry.health and thanks again for watching.